We are on a journey. Actually, it's a run through Hebrews, the book of Hebrews. As I've said and confessed and also asked for your prayers and your understanding that this is the first time that I've ever preached through the book of Hebrews. And I am benefiting more than you are. Amen. (laughs) This is, uh, I've discovered so many things that I want to say, but I can't say without just really digging in and uh, getting it for myself. We're looking to Jesus, and he is the one that we're focusing on. And that's the theme of Hebrews. It's like you're in a race, but the champion has already set the pace. The champion is in the lead. He is the one that we are following. And what he does, we want to do. And we're learning from him because we have the same spirit that he had when he walked here as a man on earth. And so in that process of being runners in a race, learning how to run the race, because we've never run this race before, have we? This is the first time around. So we really need to pay a lot of attention to one who has already gone ahead of us. And he is our model. He is the pace setter. He is the one who is the leader of the pack. Now this book says there are many, many others who have run ahead and they've finished their course. And those people have already received most of their reward just by being with the Father. But they're sitting, as it is described in Hebrews, They're sitting in the grandstands. And we've got some incredible runners who have gone on ahead. Guys like Moses, Samuel, David, Paul, Peter, John. So many have gone on ahead of us. And you know what? Some of them may be your grandfather or your grandmother or your great, 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 grandmother who came from Sweden or maybe here in Japan. We have some fourth generation Christians, Japanese Christians in this room. So those have gone ahead. They ran well. They finished their course. And we are the ones who have to run the best that we can be in him and through him. We're looking to Jesus. And because of that, because we are runners, because he is our model, he is the one who is teaching us how to live this Christian life. None of us know how to run in the Christian life without following Jesus Christ. We need discipline. And last week we jumped into this subject and several weeks previous to that. Discipline is not a word we like. Right? How many like discipline? I see a few hands. 
How many of you like discipline? Oh, it hurts. Oh, yes, it was intended to. This race is not, whoo, let's run. Oh, I love to run. No, it requires discipline. It requires training. It requires that you have a good model to live a good life as a Christian. And that's what this book is about. And we've come almost to the end of it. And we run right into this word, as we explained last week. What word can you extract from the word discipline? Well, let's look at that line. Or what's another one that's in there, but it's missing the E? Disciple. Who wants to be a disciple of Jesus? I do. I do. I'm signing up. Oh, do you know what you're asking for? Do you really know? It's not an easy walk. I mean, Peter is probably the guy that I love the best. He was always... Can I say this? He was always shooting off his mouth. He was always boasting or saying the wrong thing at the wrong time. Good old Peter. But he became an incredible, incredible disciple of Jesus Christ. And I can relate to Peter. He was a fisherman and so was I. I mean, fishermen are just like that. We just say whatever comes out of our mouth. Okay, we are on Hebrews 12, 11 to 17. Let's go. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Therefore, strengthen the hands that are weak and the knees that are feeble, And make straight paths for your feet, so that the limb which is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Pursue peace with all men, and the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble, and by it, many be defiled. That there be no immoral or godless person like Esau, who sold his own birthright for a single meal. For you know that even afterwards, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place for repentance, though he sought for it with tears. Father, We want to know what this passage is saying, not just for knowing's sake, but for experience, understanding of what you are asking us to do and have been asking us to do. Open our eyes and teach us out of your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This is our outline. Very simple. It's talking about disciplined hands, knees, and feet. A very interesting passage in the way that the author of Hebrews has
constructed this and what was in his mind, someday I'm going to know when I'm with that author and find out exactly what is he talking about, hands and knees and feet. But this is a practical book. It has a lot of truth packed in solid in some of these words. And we need to look in deeply enough in order to be able to understand what is he talking about, where is he taking this, what are we trying to learn from this book of Hebrews. And lastly, we have an example, actually a negative example. And we're going to be looking at that a little bit. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. We've talked about fruit before in some of our sermons, and that has been a good lesson for us. This fruit that the author is talking about, we don't really know what it is, other than he calls it, it's the fruit of righteousness. And I think where the structure is, and I've been looking at this this week, it's the life of righteousness that comes out of your living with Jesus. Righteousness is not a fruit of the Spirit. By the way, some people make a mistake and say, there are the fruits of the Spirit. No, it is the fruit of the Spirit. Because it's one life that is being produced in us, but it has many facets to it. It's the life of Jesus Christ living in us. And people see that aspect here. They see this aspect here. That is what it is. And so you might say, well, I don't have the fruit of truth. Well, yes, you do. Because it's part of being in the Holy Spirit. And you might list off another fruit. You say, well, that's not me. It could be you and is you if you walk in discipline following the Lord because you have his spirit if you have received Jesus Christ. So the fruits of the spirit are for all of us in your Christian life. The peaceful fruit of righteousness is the overall path in which you are going. And that's what we're going to be talking about in terms of our hands, our knees, and our feet. Chinese script and Japanese characters are incredible in the truth that they have within them. This kanji on the side over here, I should have my pointer today, is sheep. Doesn't it look like a sheep? There's the horns. Here's the front legs, the ribs, and the back legs, and the tail. That's a sheep. And everybody knows Okay, plus a very complicated looking character, which I know what parts have got in them, but they're very complicated. And the reason why they're complicated, because it's what I, it's me. I am very complicated. I've lived with my wife for 56 years and she still doesn't know who I am and what wonderful gifts and what wonderful things I have hidden in my brain and in my heart. We are very complicated people. That means me. 
Okay, you put those two together, and what do you get? What do you think? The sheep, see it at the top? The tail's missing because we don't really need it because we've got a whole bunch of stuff down here. (laughs) This is the sheep, and this is me. What does that mean? The sheep over me. The sheep is covering me. Adam and Eve sinned in the garden. And God said, Who told you you were naked? There was no answer. Who told you that you were guilty and you hid? Who told you that I wouldn't want to be with you? God killed an animal, shed its blood, and he covered Adam and Eve with, I think, a sheepskin. The sheep over me, I am righteous. In Jesus Christ, receiving him, I am righteous. Strengthening hands. Our hands are made for a number of things. You know that the hand is probably the most complicated appendage of our bodies. Our hands can do wonderful things or very, very evil things. Incredible power. What about a brain surgeon? His hands have to be steady. If just one nick, he could destroy a person's life. These hands are incredible. These hands can kill. These hands can heal. They can help. They can serve. Strengthen them. This is not talking about theory. It is talking about who we are. Each one of us as believers and each one of us who are not believers are valuable because we are reaching out to one another in care with our hands. Strengthen that in one another. Strengthen it in your own life. And you've been strengthened by others. Now pass it on by giving to others. Help and comfort, care, guidance, discipline. That's what our hands were built for. Incredible. God's invention. There's no tool. I don't care whether you're in robotics and you are a robotics engineer. I dare you to create a robot like my hands are. Well, my hands aren't that special, but they can do a lot of things. Strengthen the hands for serving. Leviticus 9.22 says, Then Aaron, the priest, lifted up his hands toward the people and blessed them. Aaron is the one to whom Moses said, God told me to tell you to tell the people to pray this way. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. 
that is how we are to bless one another. And that is why probably in this service I will end with that blessing. Aaron lifted up his hands and blessed Israel. Hands are also for protection. To protect us from something that is going to to happen to us and you happen to see it and you reach out and you grab them and pull them back. And so it came about when Moses held his hand up that Israel prevailed. Hands there for protecting. And there was Joshua down there fighting an enemy. And so Moses all day long held his hands up because that's where the power was coming from. And as they were fighting Moses' hands, you can't hold your hands up all day long. Have you ever tried holding your hands up for a long time? You can't do it. So two guys came and held up Moses' hands. And again, Israel won the battle. Holding up your hands. There's something about it. There is something about it. When he let down his hands, Amalek, the enemy, prevailed. Hands are for worship. Timothy says, Therefore, I want men in every place to pray. Folding your hands? You know what? There is no verse in the Bible that says, Fold your hands when you pray. You know why we say fold your hands to children? So they don't grab a cookie off the plate before dad has said the blessing. No, we don't pray with our folded hands. In fact, you know what? Sometimes in our family what we've done is we just keep our eyes open when we pray. Bible doesn't even say close your eyes when you pray. We don't have a lot of instruction other than Lift up your hands. Lift up your hands when you praise the Lord. You may not be from a church that feels free to do that. I would like to see our church become more free in raising our hands when we pray and when we praise. Try it. It will, in fact, free you up, I believe. It's a wonderful thing. He wants all men in every place to pray, lifting up holy hands without wrath and dissension. Then we come to the uh, second thing that he mentions in verse 12, strengthening knees. Our knees are probably the second most, well, I think they are the Number one joint in your body, other than the hip joints, that are very important, extremely important to your mobilization, to walking. Knees. Knees that are healthy and strong. Some of you who know Carolyn Brannan, who was just here, maybe you don't know that the years previous that they went home, she was in extreme pain, but she worked worked over at Team Center with those knees that were worn out in extreme pain. And finally they went home 
and she had two operations, one on one leg, and then that healed, and one on the other. And we saw her last month walking without pain. Our knees are extremely important. And I think that's the reason why the author here chose the other body part of our knees. I hope you don't have to go through your life with knees that are giving out. But you know, my age, it's starting to happen. It says, for this reason, in Ephesians 3, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that he would grant you, that he would give you, that he would pour upon you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man. And Paul is saying, I bow my knees. I submit my knees so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth, length, height, and depth and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Amen. And thirdly, straightening paths for your feet in verse 13. Make straight paths for your feet so that the limb which is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. And again, our feet are in action when we're walking. Our feet as well as our hands are very complicated mechanisms in our body. And it's for us to be careful that we have a smooth carpet. We don't have rocks or things that we stumble over. It has to be smooth, straightened out for us to walk. And that's what the Christian life is about, to show you. That is what discipline is about, is to show you how to walk and how to lay out straight paths for one another. And when you hear us say, you know, I don't think that's advisable for you to spend that much time together when we're saying this to a young college couple. Temptation that you'll regret. That's good advice. It's not this, but it's caring for them and saying, Set for yourself a straight path that you not go this way and enter into temptation. Straightening paths for your feet is listed in verse 13. Pursue peace with all men. I think you know what that means. I don't think I need to give an illustration for it. Some of you are probably going through a situation right now where you are not at peace in a relationship that might be your teacher, it might be your parents, it might be your spouse. Make peace with all men, and not just men, with women. And the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. 
We need sanctification. Okay, what is that word sanctification? We call this place a sanctuary. Well, we don't really use that term for this room, but a church building, church room, sometimes called a sanctuary. It's a place set apart. And sanctification is being set apart for something special, a special purpose. And God sets us apart as his children. We are special to him, but we also have been set aside for a purpose. And if we foul up, we're not pleasing the Father. We're pleasing ourselves. We're trying to please somebody else. God wants us to walk in sanctified ways for his honor and glory because we're his kids. See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God. See to it. What does that mean? It means pay attention. Brothers and sisters, pay attention not to be snide, not to be mean or picky, not to be nosy. It's getting worse. Okay. I'll just stop right there. But we have an investment in one another. Every one of you are special to this body. We know you. We've been walking with you. We know. See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God. We're not nosy. We're not picky. We're not getting in somebody's face and saying, you don't need to do that. You shouldn't do that. Why did you do that? No. But to lovingly care for them. That no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble. And by it, many be defiled. You know what the author here is talking about? He's talking about the church. He's talking about us in this verse. He's not talking about strangers or people that he didn't know. He's talking about us. And you know what? And I hate to say this because there are visitors here that might not understand, but we are normal people. We are still sinners. And we need each other to be able to love one another, accept one another, and not be saying, man, do you see what he's wearing? That's not appropriate. Or especially, do you see what she's wearing? We need to be able to go to that person and just say, you know, I really appreciate you and your heart for Jesus. But you know, I think that outfit or whatever is inappropriate. And that to be received as a loving person who cares about you and your walk for Jesus Christ. And it's not just about clothes. It's about words. It's about actions. It's about associations, friends that we have. It's about attitudes. It's about words that are not appropriate for a Christian to say. And we should care for one another that way. That's the body correcting itself. 
one of the things that we're learning is that we can defile one another. Defile means to pollute or to give you the flu. It means worse than that in Christian terms of if we're angry with someone and then we say, you know what, I I am so mad at that person and what they have just done. You know what they did? Let me tell you what they did. That's defiling to share it with another person. We need to be careful. We're a body together. We need to act like the body. That's what the writer of Hebrews is talking about. In conclusion, yeah, we have a bad example here in Esau. And it says that there be no immoral or godless person like Esau who sold his own birthright for a single meal. I'm not going to go into the story of Esau. It's in Genesis, and it is a passage that is a little complicated because we think Esau's brother was the bad guy. Jacob was the bad guy because he stole the birthright. He didn't steal the birthright. He bought the birthright from Esau. Esau was just, he was a man's man. And when I want something, I get what I want. That's who Esau was. Jacob knew where their family had come from. Abraham, Isaac, and the next in line would receive the blessing, the inheritance of having walked with God and all the promises of God that Abraham had received. Esau says, I'll do what I want to do, and when I want it, I'm going to get it. But his brother gets the bad rap in the story. It looks like Jacob is the bad guy. No, he isn't. He honored the fact that their family had a blessing from Abraham and now their father Isaac. And Jacob understood that is what I would like to have and like to carry on. And so he bought it for one meal, one bowl of rice. It was red soup, yeah. It was like... uh, Yeah, it was lentils, but it's like, uh, anyway, that is what he sold his birthright for. He despised it. But afterwards, he wanted it. He wanted everything for himself. Jacob was the one that honored it, wanted it. For you know that even afterwards, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected for he found no place for repentance, though he sought for it with tears. You know, that is a sad, sad picture of many, many people. And they started out well. They could have had an incredible life of following God, but their life has turned out a disaster. We need to look at these examples. This is good discipline for us to look at these and to really understand our own hearts as to where we are going and what is happening in our lives. If we continue to sin, 
If we continue to go our way, what happens is before you know it, you're already too late to turn back. Repentance means turning around. Turning around. 180 degrees in repentance. Going the other way as fast as you can. That is what this is saying to us. When it says he found no place for repentance. That means there was no repentance. He was crying, but he wasn't about to say, God, I have sinned. He just cried about it. And a lot of people are going to cry. And you know, they're going to cry for eternity because they have not turned to the God of promise, the God of mercy, the God who draws us and shows us his son and wants us to become sons and daughters. That's the God that we worship. Merciful, kind, always ready for us to turn. But if the repentance is not there, you are the one that took that repentance away. God knows your heart. We don't. But we are trusting and believing for every one of you here in this room and even for every one of you who are listening to this message over the internet. God is saying, come home, son. Come home, daughter. This is the disciplined way. Walking in the way of a holy God by the grace of Jesus Christ and not by our own strength. Yes, Lord Jesus, we choose to follow you, to go your way, to turn our lives, our whole lives over to you because you have called us by your Holy Spirit. You have provided the way for us and you have brought us to a place where we can't go forward it's hard to go back. It's hard to turn around. We embrace the cross. We lay down our lives. We say, not my will, but yours be done. Not my way, but your way. Thank you for the cross. In Jesus' name, amen.